0: I want to go to there?
1: Snipe! I saw it in the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? Yes, <laughs>
2: 30 Helens agree.
1: Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes
0: to hearts <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate like and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, so much wonderfulness happened this past week. Um, I'm, I know what it was like to be a progressive, uh, socially progressive uh, and self-described uh, liberal American person this week. What was it like? From a Canadian perspective to see, you know, the Confederate flag being taken down in Southern States uh, where it has flown and the Affordable Care Act uh, supported by the Supreme Court and then marriage equality confirmed nationwide, like in America. This is something Canada did 10 years ago, which is why I found all those. I'm going to move to Canada tweets. So hilarious. Right.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know what it's like from a Canadian perspective. I will say that from my perspective, uh, you know. Especially the, obviously, it's great that everyone can get gay married everywhere in the States. That's fantastic news. Uh, however, uh, I couldn't help but feel that the revelry got to be a bit much in the sense of, like, I really don't want to get on my ho- high horse about this, but um, uh, I don't know. I just feel like people are so quick to pat themselves on the on the back or, like... Or to like attack people who are very obviously back words in their beliefs in order to make them feel better—it's that performative aspect of mm-hmm. liberalism that I find so so grating. Um, and my favorite sort of gentle comment about this was—I forget who said it on Twitter—and shout out to them. But uh, they said, "I I would have I would have changed my Facebook photo to have a rainbow on it, but I wouldn't want anyone thinking I was straight."
0: <laughs> that's, that's pretty great. Um, for me, though, it just the. The rainbow flag was projected on the front of the White House, and that was not literally a thing I thought I wouldn't see. Like I couldn't imagine ever seeing that, and um, or you know, and certainly not so, you know, like now, you know. It was just it was really an emotional day for me. Uh, so cause, you know, just for various reasons, it was it was an emotional day for me, and uh, I was I just kept trying getting distracted on Twitter from. From my work. I was trying to write my Hannibal review. I spent like that whole day writing my Hannibal right. review.
2: I, I I will say that was a pretty fantastic day for gay Twitter.
0: Yeah, it was pretty fun. Um, uh, yeah. And you see, every time you thought you'd seen the the best thing, there would be somebody else would post something else amazing, and either be either hilarious or like you know appreciatively um like cutting and just like you know, mm-hmm. hey guys, let's take a step back. You know.
2: Well, and then CNN made everyone's job easy. Oh,
0: yeah. Gotta love that. So anyways, what we're saying is it was a very full week outside of TV. It was a less full week in the world of TV, but we're okay with that because this week joining us at the DVD shelf, uh, returning, I should say, to the DVD shelf was Sarah Debunting, Bunting, the uh, East Coast editor for Previously.TV, and uh, she came out to talk about The Sopranos. So we somehow did that in 45 minutes. And I think the main way that we did that is we both missed some pretty obvious things that we had wanted to talk about. So I'm going to limit us to each one. We can only say one more thing that we should have said that we forgot. So Simon, what's your thing?
2: The thing I'll say is that with some rare exceptions, like that horrible Peter Gunn, I'll be watching you or the police mashup in like, I think the season two premiere horrible beyond, except for that, the music supervision was incredible throughout the show. There were so many great deep cuts and uh and things that uh I mean I would have never thought to use. Um and I was I was always just impressed at how uh at 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 the variety and the and the depth of it. Uh and you also I think have a music related thing to mention.
0: Yes. Uh I basically my thing is to cosign two of your things. one of which is you talk about in, in the segment and one of and, and I forgot to I didn't like interrupt you to cosign, but I should have. Um, and the other one is similar to what you just said, which is co-signing the fact that they like this is the best dreams on TV on any show mm-hmm. ever, amazing, so so amazing on The Sopranos. And then the theme song and the opening credits, just so energetic every single time you hear that song. Uh, just the, the the combination of the imagery and you know the black and white and you know, the way that it's edited together, the handheld camera work of it with that song, that driving
2: song. And if you want to talk about brilliant music supervision, the fact that that you're hearing a British, uh, a, how did how exactly did they did they build themselves? I might get this wrong, but like a British country slash acid house group <laughs> uh, soundtracking a show about Jersey gangsters, and it's perfect, like that is the essence of good music supervision.
0: Yeah, so th- there's lots of Sopranos talk coming at the end of the podcast. And again, we're so glad to have uh, Sarah Bunting back on the podcast to talk with us about it. Um, also big for us this week at Sound on Sight was that we put out our best episodes of the year so far list, like we've been doing for the past three years. And uh, I th- I think it's a pretty pretty solid list, uh, I gotta say. Uh, the trouble with these sorts of things is we we have a panel and we have to... <laughs> Get- the
2: panel system is so silly you guys. I wish you guys could see the voting.
0: Yeah, it it really it's a whole thing, but you more than half the people on the panel need to have seen it and other people who have seen it. More than half the people need to agree it's one of the best episodes of the year so that we just don't turn into a list of every thing everybody liked or a thing that we literally hadn't there wasn't a single episode that everyone had seen. Um and so there's cuz there's so much great TV. But it you know it was is it was I thought it was a really great list. Um, so you guys should check that out at Sound On Sight. I'm sure we'll be plugging that over the course of the week.
2: Yes. I it, I dare say it's a good list. I wrote a few blurbs for it. Uh, we also had some individual picks for stuff that sort of fell through the cracks, which really, if we hadn't had those, I would have been very, very annoyed with some of the stuff we'd have missed. So I'm very yeah. glad for those.
0: My, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing I should mention up here at the top is that normally right now, at the instead of having a Soprano segment, we would be having our Comic-Con preview. Because they've announced the, the scheduling for Comic-Con. We know what all the panels are going to be. We're going to actually have that next week. So that's going to come out literally the day before Comic-Con. So just in time to be a legit Comic-Con preview. Um, but it's episode 200. And it felt kind of wrong to have the the segment to go with episode 200. It's such a pretty number. Be Comic Con preview when it could be The Sopranos, Um, so that's why we did that. Uh, But I will be at Comic Con next week, and um, there's going to be a meetup. Like there, there always is the Battleship Retention Criterion cast and Warner Archive guys are doing their meetup this year. It's going to be at the Bootlegger, um, which is uh, you know not where it's been the past couple of years, but that's again on Thursday. Eight to ten is the, the time for that. So I'll be there. Um, some, uh, you know, Many other fabulous podcasters will be there. So y'all should come check it out if you're going to be at Comic-Con. Um, I will be cosplaying this year, Simon.
2: Ooh. Yes. Uh, Which basically I... means
0: I'm going to recycle old Halloween costumes.
2: Okay. Because that's how I roll. Uh, by the way, people, just when Kate says she's going to be at Comic-Con, next, there's still going to be a podcast next week. She's oh, just yeah. also going to be at Comic-Con. Oh,
0: yeah. No, I don't understand this whole like taking weeks off for things like being at Comic-Con or being at Austin or being in, in the internetless mountains or of national Peru.
2: holidays or, or yeah
0: that's that's yeah <laughs> I, I'm not saying that's a healthy approach but it it is my approach. Um anyways, so that is uh all the stuff I think we need to mention up at the top. Would would cosplay make your Comic-Con experience which I know for you would be hellish? Better or worse, or would it depend on the costume?
2: Uh, you mean me cosplaying?
0: You cosplaying?
2: Um, I think that for me to cosplay successfully, I think I would need to work on myself for another couple of years. I think I, I, I don't think I'm there yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, you. I'm just imagining you going as um, what is it in the Karate Kid? The guy who goes as the shower, <laughs> so you can just like shut the curtains and be alone. <laughs> I feel like I that like could. It. I feel like that could be very useful when you're trying to walk the floor at Comic Con. But um, definitely. Anyways, we got a couple uh, comments at the website that we wanted to mention, and uh, one was from Augustine, who said, "I hope and pray that this site brings back the True Detective podcast because this season is looking like a train wreck and should be covered until the show finally crashes and burns." I agree about Vince Vaughn, though he is actually pretty good. And what I found particularly interesting or entertaining, I loved that uh, pretty much everybody was panning this uh, the the true detective uh, premiere but what i thought was particularly interesting was that apparently that is the worst of the first you know of of the episodes they sent out to critics that the premiere is by far the worst that's not enough information to get me to watch more of it, but I thought that that was, you know, particularly entertaining. It was like, if, if you're going to mess up one of them, why is it the premiere?
2: Don't mess up the first one. Although, it might be interesting to see if they're going to do the reverse of last season, where it starts, starts off kind of crappy and then somehow actually picks up steam. I would be impressed if they did that. And I'm, you know what? I root for everything to be good. I really do.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it would be great if it was good. Uh, I don't think it will be, but it would be great if it was. Um
0: yeah. And Augustine, that's not going to happen, just so you know. Yeah, I
2: was going to say, just just so everyone knows, there was zero discussion of doing a True Detective podcast this year. None. <laughs> there was it like, was never going to happen.
0: There was maybe one person who was willing to do it, and nobody willing to do it with them, and I don't know how they would have found guests. So, no. I, I,
2: although I feel like if you're going to do a True Detective podcast, you should probably do it alone.
0: Yeah, no, I do not have time for that, and neither does pretty much anybody. No, real, no, neither does anybody at Sound On Sight. We all have better things we need to be doing with our time, um, the or other, like
2: in the world,
0: just in general, you know. Um, uh, we also heard from Fiction Isn't Real who said when I try to download the M4A, I get an MPEG instead. Um, and I wanted to mention that because I know another one of our listeners had trouble the week before with the MP3 feed. The the episode n- never showed up for them in the MP3 feed. Now for me in like where I checked for it, it showed up. But um, this is now two different people having two different feed issues in the last two weeks. So, if any of other listeners are having technical trouble with uh, downloading the podcast, please reach out and let us know, um, either at the website or on Twitter or uh, email us theteleverse at gmail dot com because. That's a little disconcerting. It could just be a coincidence. Um, but I just, you know, I try to stay on top of that stuff. Um, we very much appreciate our listenership. And if you guys are having trouble listening, we don't want you to stop listening uh, because of that. So please reach out and let us know if there is something going on. Any other thoughts about this week or this week in TV, Simon?
2: Oh, man, no. We should, we should get to We got a long soprano segment. And we, I, by the deity of your choice, we will not go over two hours this week. Fingers it's crossed. Happening. Knocking. No, it's don't don't things. don't cross anything. Let's just make it happen. Just
0: make it happen. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so, in the spirit of that, we'll be back after a quick break with our week in reality and comedy. And comedy. I'm going to talk a bit about So You Think You Can Dance. And then, guys, I finally did it. I watched some Banana. So I'm going to be talking about Banana Season 1, uh, Episode 1 through 4. Uh, I'll keep it spoiler-free, just in a little talk about the first half of that season. You finished up Catastrophe, and then we'll both talk about uh, Inside Amy Schumer, Foam, and the uh, pilot for another period. So uh, to kick things off, So You Think You Can Dance had uh, last week, they had the New York auditions, and then I also was able to watch the uh, first week of Vegas Callbacks. And the reason I wanted to specifically talk about it was that there were two things that I noticed that I thought were very interesting in the So You Think You Can Dance callbacks, the uh, first episode of, of callbacks. And one, I probably shouldn't say anything about it, but apparently I have yet to learn my lesson about things I should say and things I shouldn't say. Um, so I'm going to, you know, maybe stick my foot in my mouth here. But what I thought was really interesting about the Team Street auditions was that the when you there were these group of um, of really amazing hip hop dancers that they brought to to have callbacks and at least based on how it was edited for us. By far, because there's a lot of freestylers there who just don't ever do choreography. They make up their own choreography, so they don't have to do that. They haven't learned and developed that skill the way that like all the, the team stage dancers will have, have already learned that skill through their years of training. And so um, it was very interesting to me that, again, at least ba- unless we were edited, the the footage was edited to be misleading, by far the women had a much better time. handling the choreography. They did a much better job with the choreography than the men did. Like there was, it was presented as no competition. The women were killing it and the guys were barely scraping through. And I thought that was interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, it made me just so very happy when Twitch says it might be all ladies on team, team street this year. It could easily be a top 10 of just ladies. I was like, yeah, that would be amazing because uh, on the show in the past, the female hip hoppers rarely break through the way that they like to build narratives for the male hip hoppers. I'm thinking here of Cyrus and of fiction. Um there's comfort, but that's about it for the for the female hip hoppers, uh, that I can think of at least on um, So You Think You Can Dance. And um so that was really cool. But it's just also just this notion of the male um soloist who doesn't just does whatever he wants and that's lauded that notion whereas the women are expected to compromise and follow instructions more i don't know do you think there could be anything sociologically there with the women having to be better because they're not necessarily respected as much in the genre and then also just you know being trained from birth to be cooperative more than guys tend to be
2: i mean i think you just described the species um but uh, yeah, I mean, that. I think that goes for all aspects of hip-hop culture from my experience.
0: I just thought it was really interesting. So uh, feel free to hate on me for having opinions about things that I shouldn't have opinions about because I have really, really, really can't dance. I like to dance. I'm just not good at it. Um, So I, I welcome your hate because that means that you're watching and so therefore you have an informed opinion and I'm not the only one watching so you think you can dance. And the other thing that I had to mention is that I just really... <sighs> Earmuffs for any children listening. I fucking hate the way that this show treats male dancers that they basically think come across as too gay. Because one of the dancers... And if they wanted us to think that he was doing a poor job in the choreography, they did not show that with the imagery, with the, the, the footage they showed us. Basically, he's doing the Broadway choreography, and he's really, he's hitting everything, but he's not being masculine enough. He's They kept saying, it was really weak. Your your dance was really, you need to be strong. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, he's hitting every single thing. No, 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 what you mean is he's too gay for you, is what you're saying. You he, you read how he's dancing as gay. And so they had him dance for his life. And and, they, and Jason Derulo, especially, it's him. But it's also from Nigel. And it's also from Paula in this thing. They talk about him just him being weak. It's like, that's not what you mean. Because you can't be weak and do what he's doing. Physically, you can't be weak. What you mean is that he's not conveying the type of masculinity that this show prefers. And it's really frustrating to me. Because when a when they have female whackers which is a style of hip hop hip hop that has a lot of um a lot of arms there's a lot of uh of um it's just this It's very there's a lot of movement, and it's not as like hard-hitting and hitting the ground and everything. When they have female whackers on the show, they love to praise them. As soon as there's a male whacker, they're not sure if he really is strong enough for this competition. It's bullshit, and it really, really pisses me off. Because a show like So You Think You Can Dance should be inclusive. Uh, it should be supportive of the arts. It should be supportive of individuality. And this is a show that apparently, to based on other fans that I've talked to and other critics I've talked to who have watched the whole thing, has never had a out dancer. They've never talked about they talk about their boyfriend or their girlfriend, but there's never been a same-sex couple featured, the way that they love to feature uh uh heterosexual couples. And um so the the, the fact that this kind of show that should be embracing all types of dance, all types of people is consistently c- criticizing Basically, people for not being straight enough, not being heteronormative enough. As they keep showing this clip of Derulo from this season saying, I love when women are women. It's like, yeah. And that's only... They've shown that that little bit of audio three times this season. That, That same thing. And it's offensive to me. As a straight woman, it's offensive to me. I can't imagine what it's like for people who are not a straight woman watching this show. I just like... It's just really, really, really frustrating. So I I got on my uh, high horse there a little bit. Um, but I, what's the point of having this podcast if I can't call out a show that I want if to you, love? If you
2: can't get the high horse out once in a while.
0: Once in a while. So I'm going <laughs> to put him back in the stable and uh, send it to you for a little bit to talk about Catastrophe. So you finished up the first uh, first season, and do you have any particular thoughts about the last couple episodes or just um you know did it did it change at all in the last couple for you or is it still a show that you really
2: recommend oh completely and no high horse necessary i just i completely enjoy i I still think it peaked with the um with with i think episode four and in particular the last few scenes were just totally unlike anything else i've seen on tv this year um the rest of it was merely very entertaining and hilarious um and I will say there was a, there was a slight forced aspect to the very last scenes of the season where it felt like they needed something to happen. So it happened um, and I didn't really buy it just sort of happening out of nowhere. Um, I, 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 I'm being oblique because I want people to watch it. Um, but, but in particular, a, a character dynamic takes a turn and it feels very forced to me, or at least it did to me. Um, I appreciate what they were trying to do with it, but I don't think the timing quite worked. Um, that being said, it, still, it felt real in the moment, but as a progression, didn't really work. Anyway, uh, I was I was really, really quite floored by by the show overall. Like I I have virtually no complaints about these six episodes,
0: and that is uh, not a thing that we say too much uh, here in the television. No, it is not. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's high praise indeed. Um, next up is Banana, and I'm just gonna keep this brief. Um, I look forward to catching up with the rest of the season. This, um, I've enjoyed the first four episodes. It's an eight episode season. Um, it hasn't floored me tremendously. I've just re- kind of enjoyed my time with it. I like that each episode kind of just tells a, a, a completely distinct story. Um, there, the, there's one character. The character featured in the first episode just is like an acquaintance of all the characters featured in the different episodes, at least so far. And so it, it's nice to just kind of get this one little story after another. Uh, the fourth episode is was very powerful. Um, it was a much more dramatic episode than, than the others. And, um, I, it, it's, I don't, I don't really want to give away why, because I feel like that there's a mo, there's a moment when you watch where your stomach just drops and, um, and I don't want to rob that for viewers, but I thought the, the way that they handled, I thought the way that they, they handled the turn in that episode worked very well. And also, um, I love that, this ep- that these episodes deal with complicated relationships between queer characters, um, gay, transgender, um, lesbian, uh, which is just, again, a thing that um, you don't necessarily see. Uh, who am I kidding? The thing you don't see on American TV hardly ever. So it, it, I appreciate the representation, but more than that, I appreciate the different kinds of relationships we see with these characters, and also particularly with their parents. It seems like this... Uh, series is really interested in showing something other than the um, a character comes out and their family disowns them storyline um, because that is uh, the kind of story that's been told more frequently um, and so to have sort of more complicated uh, relationships there or completely supportive relationships but the the characters aren't necessarily sure how to take that support um, I think it's a little bit more... Uh, more interesting, and we'll see. Maybe the last four will all be characters who have terrible relationships with their parents, but um, it's just it, it's not something I was necessarily expecting. So I thought that that was a, a a neat way for them to go. So we'll see how the rest of the season goes. But I'm enjoying it so far. Um, I'm you know 23 minutes per episode, easy to watch. So people I think should check it out if they're fans of if they're fans of, if you're fans of Russell T Davies and what you know what he was doing with um with Queers Folk uh, UK, then I think you'll probably enjoy this, even though it's Without having that same character, those same group of characters in every episode, it's a very different kind of approach. But I think people will like it.
2: Right. And there's this whole constellation of shows. There, There's three sort of companion series. They're all different formats and they're apparently different focuses. And I, I haven't, I, I'm, I'm not sure on the distinction between them and I haven't watched any yet, but I'm very curious to see how uh, or if really they interrelate.
0: Yeah, my plan is to finish banana and then watch cucumber, and then when I finish cucumber, watch tofu. So we'll see how that goes with Comic Con coming up. But um, that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's move on to our next show, which is Inside Amy Schumer and Foam. And again, we're gonna keep this one brief because I don't. Uh, we were talking about this a little beforehand. I don't know how much we have to say about this. I will say that I enjoyed the central, um, the central segment or, or, or sketch, which features um Amy Schumer. Uh, getting getting cappuccino um, from a, the barista and the complicated relationship that can be inferred from the latte art when you you know receive your cup from your barista. Um, any 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 thoughts on this? Oh, there was also the princess. She gets to be a princess and what comes with that, and you know some other some other interesting sketches. What stands out to you?
2: I, I was surprised you got through a synopsis of, of of the of the foam sketch and did not mention the Fabule uh, le fabuleux destin d'Amélie Poulain. Which it's very obviously uh, referencing, especially on the in the scoring. Um, it's a very it's a cute sketch. It's nice. It, it 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 was very much a challenge of let's do a whole sketch with no dialogue and make it work. Um, and it works, but it, I don't think it was really more than amusing. And I I, I hate to say it, and I hate to go back to, to to last year, but Amy Schumer really front loads her seasons, doesn't she?
0: I'm not to say that yet we'll see what happens next this could be just like you know again I like this episode but it wasn't I wasn't laughing out loud Um, so this is a couple episodes in a row here where I wasn't necessarily laughing out loud I would say that the previous episodes uh, fight like a girl sketch is better than anything we get this week and I would say that was a very solid sketch for the season Um, so i I can't really argue with you if the next episode doesn't bring it, okay. but that's, I'm going to hold on my hopes on that one for now. It,
2: it it just feels like, I mean, there's, there's been some okay stuff at least every week, but it feels like the real knockouts tend to mm-hmm. come early in the season. I remember this happening last season too. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, uh, moving on. Um, yeah, there, there wasn't a whole lot that I found. I mean, I watched this back on the night it aired, so not, not as much of it as, uh. Is, would would have been kicking around in my skull anyway, but especially the the in, the interview segment was quite te- was quite tepid this week. I thought
0: well, I thought that could have been really interesting, um, but
2: it wasn't. It didn't
0: necessarily subvert my. Well, I thought it was fun, but it didn't necessarily subvert any expectations because the way that it comes across is so. It must be nice to just not have any money, or to, to just have all of the money and not need to worry about that ever, and just sort of was like, yeah, I mean, like I want to make my own money. It's like dude 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 (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (laughs) um it's like, and that's—I'm sure—that's a legitimate thing, but you know, but those highly paid podcasters watching, you know, it's yes. not the most relatable sentiment. Right.
2: The violins don't come any tinier.
0: <laughs> um. Any other thoughts, or shall we move on to our other Comedy Central show, which this week is the another period pilot?
2: I think you're going to be vindicated because I—I—I uh, I, I haven't seen more than than the first episode. I know that there's a there's a, a few on the Comedy Central site. I've only seen the pilot. Uh, But I have to say, for the first few minutes, I was really amused by the show, and then it just kept going, and going, and going, and it really felt like it was the same two or three gags ad nauseum for 22 minutes, and it was very comfortable being the same two or three gags ad nauseum for 22 minutes, and really gives you the impression that it's going to continue being those two two or three gags for 22 minutes at a time, basically like a... I mean, in in the same sense that drunk history is sort of the same joke every time, except that that's I don't know. I, whenever I catch drunk history, I'm always happy that I do because at least the, the the format makes that sort of consistency more more palatable. But yeah, I found this to be kind of charmless, which feels bad because there's such a rich, there's so much potential in that premise and in having that having this sort of setting be uh be where your your raunchy. Uh, quasi-satire is set, but yeah, it didn't really work for me.
0: Yeah, and the other thing that I'll mention is, um, and I, ugh, I don't know her name off the top of my head, I should, but the actress that we love as Artemis on Always Sunny yes, uh, shows up as their sister but is recast in the next episode. What? Um, which, Yeah, so I'm guessing there were scheduling conflicts because right. she's fabulous. Um, but yes, so maybe I would assume that that's you know, unless something changed from the screener that I saw, um, that's that's a bit, you know, that was also kind of disappointing to me because I, you know, she, she when she showed up, I was like, oh, okay, well, there's an, yet another comedian I, I completely appreciate and always love the work of. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, what was what part of the show? Did any part of the show like particularly work for you? Or any casting particularly work for you, or is it more just kind of all
2: of a piece? I mean, there's certainly actors when they show up, there's like a, that brief hit of uh, of novelty value, but I think by the by the time you get to the end of that uh it's going to be you know jokes about about the aloof rich which is you know i'm totally down for that but it's extremely one note and also th- just they go for the the relentlessly easy laugh like literally it's on episode 1 and we're into the helen keller jokes like we can and it's not they're not inventive helen keller jokes they're not any more inventive just because helen keller is actually there uh as a character that is um so yeah i don't know i it's it's a rare sort of, at least based on the pilot, maybe it, like, as as I was hoping last week, maybe it gets loads better later somehow, but it just, it feels very satisfied with what it is based on this pilot. It doesn't feel like it's motivated to get a whole lot better, if that makes any sense.
0: Fair enough. Well, we'll keep our ear to the ground and hopefully y'all will let us know if we should be keep uh, tuning in more frequently. We I talked about it last week. Y'all already know what I think about, uh, about the show. Um, but I know that, you know, we're, we're reviewing it at sound on site. Justine, the, our film editor is reviewing it and she really enjoyed the pilot. I'm sure, um, she'll have plenty of interesting things to say about the rest of the season, um, so if you are interested in it, go to soundonsite.org and check out our reviews uh, that we're going to have every week. Because I don't think, for at least for now, we're going to cover it anymore on the podcast. Um, but on that slightly sour note, what uh, wins your week in reality and comedy?
2: Uh, since I finished Catastrophe this week, I will happily give it to that.
0: And I'm going to give it to Banana Episode 4. Um, yeah, because I, again, really, some really good stuff there. Uh, but now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama. This week in Genre and Drama, I'm going to talk briefly about Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, as well as Unreal, and then we'll both talk about Hannibal, Aperitivo, and Penny Dreadful, and Held Itself, My Only Foe, as well as I'll talk a little bit about last week. Humans had its pilot on AMC, so we'll talk about that, and then we'll wrap things up with Halt and Catch Fire, Infiltrator, because you have seen it! You're all caught up! Very exciting! But first, to kick things off, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. This week's episode is the education of a mu- of a magician, and we see Strange studying under Mr. Norrell a bit. There's some really neat effects as we see him doing a little magic. Um, the thing I'll say about this is I like what I'm seeing so far, but I, I'm not seeing anything yet to warrant the kind of love that I that is out there for the show. Because of course, it aired over in the UK like there are at least a couple, if not like the entire series ahead of us in the U S. So, um, I'm guessing there's more to come. I feel like there's, there's gotta be because again, I like it, but I'm not seeing that next level connection to the characters that a lot of people seem to have. Um, but I thought this was a fun episode. I like what they're doing with, um, with, uh the 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 wife that of the the benefactor who Mr. Norrell brought back i think you know that's working well and the the raven king is appropriately creepy um so so it's it's fun i'm really enjoying my time but for me it's not it's not yet moved to that next level of show and so um i'm hoping that'll come soon For Unreal, because as I was editing the podcast last week, I had Unreal in the comedies because it felt more like a comedy the first couple of weeks. Last week, I just didn't really think about it. I just kept it in comedies. And as I was was editing, I was like, this doesn't feel right. So I moved it to drama this week. Um, And I liked this episode a lot. I really like the way they handled the end of episode uh, realization that we watch our lead have. I think that's very interesting. I think it gets even darker, Um, but in a... Less expected way for me this week, and I I'm hoping that it'll the show will continue with the same kind of not as judgmental approach as we might have thought from this episode. I'm staying vague, listeners, because Simon right. uh, may be catching up with the show. I don't want to spoil him, but um, no, I think that you know it's like I said last week. It's constant simmer is a lot of fun, and I really like um what the show's doing with its central protagonists, and it's really made a few of those, uh, the contestants on the, on the show on Enchanted, much more interesting. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very engaged and I'm looking for, I'm actually looking forward to, to what comes next after the way that episode four ended. So, um, by the time you are listening to this, you've probably seen episode five, but we'll, uh, hope we'll talk about that next week. Um, and hopefully Simon will have caught up at least somewhat, uh, so he can tell us how much he hates it still, <laughs> or maybe he will have turned around. We'll see. But for now, let's move on to Hannibal Aperitivo. My review is up at Sound On Sight. It's another long one. Um, and the the podcast that I'm on, uh, This Is Our Design. This week we had Molly Eichel on from the AV Club. That's up in your feed as well. So lots of Hannibal content for me. So I'm going to mostly shut up here and say, Simon, what did you think of this
2: week's Hannibal? I, I mostly really liked this episode. Um, I mean, it featured the return and then the departure of Gina Torres, which was, uh, I mean... It got misty in the Howell household. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, I, 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 I was it me? Was it someone else? I mean, who can say? If it didn't,
0: um, then I would have to like go, you know, teleport in there to check some pulses because y'all'd be dead inside.
2: Yeah, that was that was really hard. That was I. I mean, you saw I, I, you, you, you saw it coming pretty much immediately based on the fact that you know we've already seen Fishburn in Europe.
0: That Jack was lighting candles in a church last week. Also yeah. that.
2: Uh, I mean, that didn't even occur to me, but yes. Um, everything with that was obviously great, uh, as much as I'm going to be sad to not see a live Gina Torres anymore, I'm assuming she'll be back as an angel or something. Um, that was pretty strong. I'm, uh, I'm not as wild on, uh, on, uh, Caroline D'Averna, the angel of death or the angel of revenge or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that's not a season long thing uh i don't know did you did you did you you take the light i mean i'm glad she's alive which i figured she was um but yeah i don't know any thoughts You, you you seem to have thoughts
0: well yeah i thought it was great i'm really looking forward to that i'm looking forward to a more proactive and engaged uh alanda she's been such a reactionary and such a um observant
2: this isn't reactionary
0: no no no. she she as in she sits back and we watch her react to things but she doesn't say anything so she's a much more she appears like she will be a much more proactive character this season um and she's reacting to her experience yes but she's um she's not waiting for things to happen in the way that she did in the previous seasons
2: true i don't know how i i I don't really know how i feel about joe anderson yet yeah it's tough right it's It's, it's very hammy, even compared to Michael Pitts. And I know he's got the prosthetics and stuff, but still, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to take in as a performance, Uh, especially because this season's been so reserved in terms of like, I know we don't think of Hannibal as reserved, but it's been so, uh, so like, minor key, and like, I don't really, it's been... You know, it's been very quiet for Hannibal. And then Mason Verger shows up and he's acting all over the place. And it's, it's just a bit much. Uh, maybe I'll feel better about it later when more bad things happen to him. If it, you know, inevitably I'm not, this isn't book spoilers. I haven't read the books. Um, it's just, it's inevitable because he's against Hannibal and bad things happen to people who are against Hannibal as has already happened to him. Well, anyway, and he's a terrible, I mean,
0: terrible person too. Let's and not forget. Yes. That.
2: Also that, also but. that, um, but yeah, yeah, it was uh it was it it, it was definitely interesting to get a, an episode that had almost no will, almost no Hannibal um and just a, a total shift in perspective. Uh it's I'm I'm continuing to really enjoy the season uh despite some misgivings here and there. I mean, I already know a lot more than I perhaps need need or would like to about the design of this season, so But one thing I do like about what I've heard is that it seems like it will be, um, I think it'll have a very different, it'll be very different structurally from every other season, which I think will be to its benefit. Um, Any thoughts on Chilton? I mean, it already has been. Oh, yeah. Sorry?
0: Any thoughts on Chilton, who's the main other character that we see that you have not said anything about?
2: Uh, Again, like pretty, pretty hammy. Pretty hammy this week. Uh, it was it was a ham it was a ham handed ham heavy episode and I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that but it was just a, a strange adjustment from the previous three for me.
0: Yeah, I mean the previous three episodes have been very very arty, very um, introspective, and very, very. I mean, I, I think. One of my favorite terms and descriptors for things is probably expressionist because I find myself using it all the time with the shows I like the best. Um, so maybe that's on me. But um, it's been very interested in showing what things feel like and and conveying uh, these internal monologues through visual imagery. And then this episode is just like plot and lots of talking. And uh, it feels very different. And I know a lot of listeners and readers – um, for this is our design and uh and reviews and just people talk, talking on Twitter and everything a lot of watch, you know fans of the series were very glad to have something more concrete i was like we can stay in pretentious art film like land all the time as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. i i dig that, that that stuff so um i'm hoping like i said in my review i'm hoping that they find a happy medium between these
2: two extremes Yes, that would be nice. Yeah.
0: Well, next up is Penny Dreadful and Hell Itself, My Only Foe. And I got to say, they are moving right along here. I'm looking forward to this <laughs> finale. Like, these last couple episodes have really kicked it up a notch. And you were you were not kidding about last week's episode with the that scene in the ballroom with um, uh, Timothy Dalton or with Billy Piper. I don't know how much I... By all that, I'm not as interested in that, but it's certainly more interesting than what we you know were getting before oh, with
2: Lily. Way more interesting. Way more but interesting. But do you know what I mean about like but from the be- at the beginning of that scene in last week's episode, she's saying one thing, and by the end of it, she seems to be doing something completely different. Yeah. And I don't know why it's happening, but it's entertaining as hell.
0: Yeah. Well, and that really continues this week. This it builds in a really significant way. And you know, I don't I don't know that they've done the legwork. To convince me about the wolf man, I was like, okay, so he's gonna turn into a wolf, but why does that mean that he's killing anyone? He doesn't have to kill someone. And when the, with given like why doesn't he then turn and bust down the door? You know?
2: It it doesn't seem like he has any control though.
0: Yeah, I guess but I mean he needs to eat everyone? Is that like like I don't know. I don't I feel like I don't if for such an important and significant Beat plot and character, and all of that for I mean, for Simbene as well. I mean, it also doesn't help that that's a character who's been so underserviced, uh, this season and by the whole series. A very interesting, yes, character, very strong performance given how little material they've actually given him. Um, so that doesn't help, but um, for such a dramatic turn of events, I feel like I needed just a line of I won't be able to control, you know, like. I always go after the first thing I see, or I don't know something. You know, like something.
2: I feel like they've they've established this just fine. I mean, we we we've seen him be an, a regular person and be totally, you know, be be relatively upstanding, and then we see that when he's a wolf, he tears everyone around to shreds. We saw this literally at the end of last see, season. But
0: last season, they were coming after him. Like they were coming yeah, to he, take him away. Like there, there was like a sure. trigger there. Here, he's just standing there. Like wolves don't like see. Oh, there's a person. I better
2: eat it. Well, no, the trigger. I mean, the trigger is always the same. It's always the moon, but it just it just seems to really kill. Everybody. I mean, it seems like in, in, at the at the hotel, he just killed everything that was around. Not just the people who were after him. There was like a bunch of, of bystanders, and it's just it's whatever's around. If he's assuming he's not locked up, which we've also seen
0: yeah I don't know I think for me I think it probably just is that that end of season one uh, slaughter that we see did feel because of the timing of it and the way it was shot it felt Mm -hmm. very much triggered by they're attacking they're coming to take him away and he's like well fortunately you've decided to do that at the very moment that I'm going to get super strong and so I will now kill you because you're trying to capture me so like I think that muddled it for me a little bit anyways we'll see what happens as all genre fans know no character is no character is dead until you see their dead body, and even then, not always.
2: Um I really hope Sabine isn't dead because right? that would su- I I was actually like, uh no. Can we not kill the one black guy? Like <laughs> seriously. Um there was a lot of stuff to like in, in, in both of these episodes. Um first first of all, credit to like I don't care, I didn't care about the guy who was coming to hunt uh Josh Hartnett, but the opening fight scene was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, just especially kick, stab, kick, stab. That was so
0: fun. I love the timing <laughs> of it,
2: <laughs> uh, especially because the kicks were so ineffectual. Like you could tell the kicks weren't doing anything.
0: It's like kick and and then the lady, if the lady will, yes, oh thank you very much. Stab and your your turn, your turn, honey. Oh, I'm no you, you another stab. <laughs> it was just you <laughs> know, it was just very delightfully timed.
2: Yes, uh, other thing. I mean. It feels like they're setting up Lily to be the big bad next season. Really? Just because, I mean, that's how it feels to me. Because her, the, the rise of her as an evil power has nothing to do with any with like the big bad of this season. So it feels like that's what they're gonna have to contend with. Because otherwise, if they wipe out the witches, like who's left?
0: That, that that's true. But I mean, they could just bring up a new thing. But yeah, how they could connect that in with what's going on currently remains to be seen. Um. I would have also liked a bit more, a bit more work on legwork like with, um, Dorian and with Lily, and his like all of a sudden be like, sure, let's just kill everyone. You know, like I get that that's sort of his thing. Being Dorian Gray, like, he likes the extremes. That's what he's fascinated with, and they've just co- sort of made him kind of cuddly this season, and so they're kind of undoing that somewhat, um,
1: mm-hmm. which is
0: fine. But I think what maybe what shot them in the foot is that they did a really, really good job at getting us to invest in Angelique. And so this notion yeah. that he really doesn't care at all about her um, and the fact that he's just killed her undermines my investment in the characters. Like, well, okay, you told the show you, know, like, show, you told me I should care about this character and I should care about this relationship. And now you're like, oh, no, no, that doesn't matter at all. So now you're telling me I should care about Lily and Dorian and I don't
2: believe you. I mean, this is sort of what what I like about Penny Dreadful is that it's it's constantly zagging where you think it'll zig and it's finding zags that you didn't know were there to even think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like it it, it, it it I feel like John Logan knows what we care about and doesn't care or he really doesn't know what anyone cares about <laughs> and he doesn't care. It's one of those two things and either is fine mm-hmm. um, because it's 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 resulting in a more interesting if almost never better show, but never infuriating, because there's always something, there's enough to enjoy. Um, and there was something else I want. oh yeah, uh, as much as I i don't care about the John Clare story, and the whole heel turn with the blind girl was stupid, um, I, I like the through line that nobody cares about poetry except John Clare.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was nice. And uh, I just, like, I, I want the people to show up, and he's just, like, sitting on the bed reading a book, he's like, sup? And just... <laughs> Like, guys, he doesn't look freakish enough to be in a freak show, <laughs> like, especially at a distance. we are going to, like, force him to come up to the cage so they like pull open his eyes so you can see his eyelids, so you can see that he has yellow eyes. I mean, he's got a scar, and he's super pale.
2: Yeah, I mean, even in this same episode, guy that Josh Hartnett attacked looked way freakier. Yeah, definitely.
0: So, uh, we'll see. We've had trouble with that storyline all season. Um, Anything else you wanted to mention from
2: this episode? Um, or
0: things that you're hoping for in the finale.
2: Oh God. Things that I'm hoping. Oh, I'm hoping that in the, in the finale, John Clare, uh, uh, renounces poetry and women and just decides that he's going to use his super strength for good and never talk. Uh, that would be great. Um, can he
0: like, take ho- out Lily and die in the process?
2: Um, that would be kind of badass. Although I kind of am enjoying Lily, to be honest. Uh, I I feel like especially I don't feel like they've got a better replacement for it for a villain next next year unless they come up with something else. Um, I mean, I just mostly want I mean, we're going to get a big badass showdown showdown and I would like it to be really, really good. That's my main thing.
0: And if we can have Lyle stick around for, for next season, that would also be nice.
2: I feel like they've already had their blood sacrifice, and they don't need to kill anyone else. Yeah,
0: we'll see how it goes. Um, Next up is the pilot for Humans, uh, which aired on AMC this week, this Sunday. And, um, yeah, I heard a little rumbling about this, but... um... Yeah. And obviously I was aware that it was coming up, you know, AMC has been doing running ads for it for a while, but I was surprised that they've like moved the day it was airing on a couple of times before settling on Sundays again. Um, however, I will say that I thought this was a really strong pilot and the performances and the writing I thought was actually very good. It felt very confident. And, and part of that is likely the fact that it's an adaptation, you know, cause for a first episode with a completely new world and setup, up, it felt very confident in that world, um, but, you know, then you remember it's an adaptation of an international series and that makes a little bit, you know, that gives them a little bit of an edge. a little more comfort maybe with that, with that universe. What did you think of, of this episode? Uh,
2: I thought it was pretty good. It felt very much of a piece with other sort of recent sci-fi, like Black Mirror and X Machina especially. I'm sure many other people have made those comparisons already. I haven't been paying too much attention. Um, I think that, uh, they're gonna there are there are difficulties with with this uh that uh will be interesting to see them manage um the fact that for the, by and large the humans uh aren't terribly interesting i do like the daughter a lot um like almost immediately anyone who who wards off that she thinks that her parents by saying i'm masturbating uh is great uh is <laughs> in, instant winner definite winner and and also that's a, that's a good character to have be a winner because usually the precocious but rebellious teenage daughter is not a good character um so props on that uh the, when your most interesting character is uh is not human that can present some some issues but uh i think the the strength of the performance should carry that uh, i also really like william hurt uh in in his role it's it's you know it's it's a role you've seen before if you have ever seen a movie Uh, with kid robots in it and a sad parent, like you've seen it before, but hopefully they go somewhere else with it. Um, the villains seem a little bit stereotypically villainy and short-sighted in ways that I don't find particularly interesting, so hopefully that gets better as well, um... I don't know. I feel like it's probably better than that Minority Report series we're going to get.
0: Well, yeah, who knows what that, how that'll turn out. But I will say that, you know, the performance, like you said, from when you heard it, is very good. I think um, I really like, actually, uh, a lot of the, the leads. But particularly, I mean, the 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 people playing the, the robots are doing some really very solid work. Because I'm watching this, and I forget that they're people. <laughs> Just the way that they're, like, that's got to get challenging to make it feel to not react to stuff that's going on but then you know right. that the that certain of these robots have extra levels of sentience where they are where they're pretending not to react and so right. they are reacting and then to make that then not feel overly like I feel like it's easy to take that too far and and be distracting or just be a bad performance and so I think that right. they're really threading the needle
2: yeah, I think that the 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 guy playing uh, the William Hurt robot, I think has has some trouble with certain little like when he's malfunctioning or something or, or, and things like that. I'm seeing the performance in those in those moments, and I I often wonder um, when when I when like I wonder if that wouldn't have been better served with with some audio looping or some sort of like technical addition where it seems to really just be performative. And I I appreciate the effort, but sometimes it pulls me out of it a little bit. But I had no problems with the with the main robot, uh, the lady robot, Anita, Anita, um, who I feel like I mean, I actually had a problem at first with how overbearingly creepy they were scoring her scenes. Um, But I think they do a good job by the end of the episode of making clear that we're seeing things from uh, from the mother's perspective and like how you would be freaked out, too, uh, if you if you didn't like if you didn't like or trust robots and suddenly you had a sexy robot looking after your kids in your house.
0: Yep. Yep. I think that works. Uh, that works well. And I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more excited about this season uh, after seeing this pilot. So I can, I can see why William Hurt was, wanted to do the show. Um, cause that's a big name for them to get. And I look forward and I, and I like that it's not just the William Hurt show, which is what I was, you know, because it is such a name. I was a little leery about that, but the, the, those fears have been, um, put aside so i'm looking forward to to the rest of the season of humans are you gonna watch more
2: uh yeah definitely and hey it's good like hard sci-fi tv and this doesn't happen very often
0: yeah we're definitely fans of that um well let's move on to our last show of the week and that's halt and catch fire and so this is now the fifth episode of the season you're all caught up i am what are you thinking of the season so far
2: Uh, i'm really digging it and actually um there are things about jumping in in season two that i'm enjoying that someone who had watched season one would not be able to. Like, for instance, there's this whole thing with Cameron and the Lee Pace character. I know that he screwed her over, and I know that he was a very, very bad person to her, but I don't exactly know what happened, and it's actually, it actually feels better that way. Like, I've, it feels like if I'd watched the show and it started at, at episode one, and we'd gotten this far and nobody had explicitly stated what had happened, it would be fine, and it, it feels, it actually feels right. Is that weird?
0: Well, yeah, he was a jerk jerk face to her, and I believe it, totally, and that's all I need to know. I don't need more information than that.
2: Yeah, anyway, uh, and it, I don't know, that's just, that's, maybe it's because I'm, I'm feeling glad that I didn't spend, you know, four (laughs) or five hours of my life catching up on earlier episodes for this to make sense. But, I mean, there there were some little character relationship things that took some time to tease out, but usually shows are pretty, serialized TV is pretty good at reminding you about past stuff. And that's even without the aid of previously on's, which are always there. Uh, yeah, I'm digging the hell out of this show. Um, it feels very old-fashioned, actually, and I don't just mean that because it's set in 1985. Like it, it feels like us a, a perfectly solid drama series from 10 years ago. If that makes any sense, like in the sense of like there are very traditional TV relationships done a little bit better than they need to be the 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 love story that's developing developing between Cameron and the and and the handsome young man um i mean the whole thing of that that whole plot beat of they get together but then but then the ex shows up and it gets awkward and he feels bad and then like it's a very familiar idea that they compress into as little time as possible and then find a nice button for and move on and the show is constantly doing that where it's taking very familiar tropes and character relationships and doing them faster and a little bit more inventively than it has to. And I really appreciate that.
0: Any uh, thoughts about Gordon and his diagnosis?
2: Um, I mean, it's again, this familiar, it's familiar ideas. in 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 a few senses, The guy, you know, the man who bottles up and can't talk about what's going on because too much pain and family and blah. And I would have liked for them to have gotten through that, this episode, to be honest, I mean, to him telling his wife, um but it made sense and it's also the sort of thing that i assume was happening all the time uh with people experimenting with lead soldering and things like that um i mean i'm really enjoying scooping McNary's performance overall and uh, he's he's been I, w- I wouldn't say like a revelation but he's <laughs> been uh certainly certainly very strong i i mean uh as as other people have said like this is really this show really belongs to the ladies and like it's hard not to uh, to care more about Cameron <laughs> slash uh, uh, Kelly Bichet in general, uh, because there's you know there's just there's no one really like her character on TV. Uh, there there I mean there aren't too many you know 80s quasi punks kicking around at all. Uh, but t- you know 80s 80s quasi punk hacker uh, slash uh, slash computer programmer slash gaming enthusiast slash small slash- business owner slash small business owner slash overall polymath uh just like that's that's a very it's a very singular character description on TV right now uh and yeah i mean i'm i've just been i'm i've mostly been enjoying the show on on that level of uh sitting around with characters who real who are really good at what they do who really enjoy it uh and whose differences you feel like are surmountable and you hope they surmount them, yeah. which is, I feel like something that you don't see very often.
0: Yeah, definitely. Also I've got to say, I am enjoying Bosley quite a bit. I think they've done a good job of incorporating him. Um, and there is still uh, in, and he fits, feels like he fits in the show because they've done enough work building up that relationship with him and Cameron. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I'm also enjoying his little corner of the show too. So well done, Halt and catch fire. We're totally on board over here at the Tellers. Yay!
2: And yeah, like I don't consider it like a a like I've heard some people say, like, it's the best thing on TV. It's so not the best thing on TV. But it's pretty darn it's it's a it's a it's a it's very good at what it does.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a really fun show, and it's one that we're glad to be watching. Um so what wins your week in genre and drama?
2: Ooh. uh, you know what? AMC, you have a good drama that's not a, a show that you already knew was good or an offshoot of a show that you already knew was good. Congratulations. I'll give it to Halt and catch fire.
0: <laughs> Very nice. Um, yeah. I feel like I have to, it's going to be hard for me to not give it to Hannibal every week. Uh, Cause I do love that show so much. Um, and even if I don't love an episode, there are, are things in it that I'm going to like, how do I not give it to Gina Torres uh in her wedding dress i mean come on how do i not um so i'm just gonna say the hannibal award goes to i think i think i might even do i'll spread the wealth a little bit and give some love to humans
2: all right really it's hannibal hannibal award goes to humans which is such a (laughs) boring that's such an underhanded award
0: yeah but hey come on it's a good award wouldn't you want to get the hannibal award i would i would I mean, come on it'd be tasty <laughs> now a few show notes you can find a post up for this episode at sound on site.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's tv you can email us at televerse at gmail.com you can find us on facebook where you can like us to follow uh, the goings on at Soundside tv and also you know leave a comment and start start up some conversation there we're in itunes with an m4a chaptered feed and an mp3 unchaptered feed and of course we are both up on twitter i am at the televerse and simon you are
2: at sucker howl
0: and what is our question of the
2: week? Well, since we're doing uh, Sopranos this this week, I guess we may as well ask uh, what uh, I mean. What what role, if any, did Sopranos have in your in your uh, in your TV uh, fandom development? If it did it did it predate you? Did it come too late, uh, or was it something that that you sort of grew up with and helped you appreciate stuff? And we'll, we'll we talk about that a little bit in our segment. So I figured it was worth worth throwing out there.
0: Absolutely, I think it's a great, uh, great question because it is one of those shows that is so discussed as the best, you know, of TV. That what, what if you missed the best of TV and only caught it later? You know, it's interesting. So, um, let us know what uh, your relationship is with The Sopranos, listeners. I look forward to hearing from you. Um, but now we will take a break and come back with Sarah D. Bunting, the East Coast editor. Uh, Sarah D. Bunting from previously.tv to talk about The Sopranos. I'm Anthony Soprano. Got a big family. Got my wife and kids. What do you think dad does for a living? Waste well, man. You're so naive. I got my other family.
2: This is Scarface, final scene. Say hello to my little friend. They're all
0: driving me slowly
2: insane. Your boys were warned.
1: i marriage, Tony. Is this annex helping?
0: Sometimes I think if one family doesn't kill me. Oh my God. The other family will. The Televerse. This is Kate Colesick, joined us ever by Simon Howell, and this week on the DVD shelf, uh, I'm just going to lay this out here at the top. Guys, that's to the listenership. I'm a little ner- nervous here because we're talking about The Sopranos, and it's only considered one of the greatest shows ever. Um, pretty roundly considered, if not number one, certainly top five by just about everybody who watches TV. Uh, so no pressure on us. Uh, it, we, I'm sure you know no one's ever talked about the show before. So there's only new things to say about it. But we're going to have fun talking about it. And part of why we're going to have so much fun is because returning to the DVD shelf to help us talk about The Sopranos is Sarah D. Bunting, the East Coast editor of Priestley.TV. Sarah, welcome back. And thank you for helping us. I feel like a little bit more secure because you're going to help us with this.
1: Oh, dear. Well, <laughs> I think my qualifications for this are really loving the show and being from New Jersey, but if that's good enough for y'all, I'm really happy to be back and pleased to have been asked. I love talking about the show, and I'm with you. I'm sure we're going to find all new top 10 insightful things to say about it, <laughs> so let's let's
2: get to it. Hey, you've got one up on Kate and I.
0: Yeah, i to say you got definitely a strong one up on 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 the two of us. And maybe let's start there. So, wh- is that connection to Jersey part of what connects you to the show or is it just happens to be a, a fun side benefit you you may
1: recognize some some locations or some references that we aren't going to get? Um, yeah, it's that second thing. I um my relationship with the show started um the show was already underway. It was like between seasons one and two. I hadn't been watching. I hadn't heard anything about it. Despite the fact that I was running a uh, nascent TV site at the time, it later became television without pity. But at that time it was still mighty big TV. Um,
0: Just a so- little, a
1: little site, mighty big TV. <laughs> no, you know, yeah. It's kind of a big deal. Uh, anyway, sorry. Bag Um Yeah, we were proud of it. Still are. Um, But, you know, people were talking about it. And it was one of those times, I think, where at that time, you really had to struggle during the summer to like, keep programming on the site happening because there was like nothing. So we would cover like real world marathons and drag the like VHS box sets out of dry dock and have people cover those. And we decided we would pick up The Sopranos, so I started watching it kind of idly, and I started with season two, and then went back and filled in with season one, and I'm not from that, I mean, New Jersey is so teeny, you can drive anywhere from anywhere else in three hours, but, like, it's also pretty provincial, Um, and I enjoyed the way that that was portrayed on the show, but there weren't a ton of landmarks that I knew, definitely that drive out of the Lincoln Tunnel and, like, Pizza Land I'd been to. Um, but yeah, there was a familiarity to it and the dad going down the driveway in the bathrobe to get the star ledger was something that happened at my house, you know, and still does. So, (laughs) so yeah, it was familiar in some ways, but it was also like a completely new experience TV wise, I would say.
0: Well, what was that experience like? Because of course, for me, and I'm curious. I'll throw it to Simon afterwards. Um, but I came to this show. I finally sat down and watched it when we started the Televerse because it was one of those shows where I just I lived in fear of somebody asking me a question about it and then my having to reveal that I had never seen it because we didn't have HBO. Uh, so um, I finally only just you know four years ago sat down and watched all of it uh, for the first time. And so I, you know, at that point, I, it already had the baggage of greatness. You know, I remember watching the Emmys and you know, all the West Wing versus Sopranos talk at all the awards and everything, but, but I didn't get that experience of watching it unfold over time. Did that affect the way that you saw it?
1: Um, I think so. You know, that's one of those things that, um, I'm fascinated by that question just generally now that we live in the era of streaming, uh, entertainment, uh And I'm not sure there's an answer because you can't come to the same show in two different ways um i'm sure I'm sure that it was different like I had a similar thing with Buffy actually that I sort of came in at the end of season two, and then a friend of mine had taped some episodes and I went back so my experience with that was sort of piecemeal and interesting as well, but the sopranos, I think. I, there wasn't as much baggage, and there were a couple of episodes like this is not a popular opinion, but I actually don't love season two. I think it's not as good as season four um get the pitchforks we're gonna get run <laughs> um. But, yeah, I think the experience of watching it, the primary difference is that um, you probably remember, at least even if you weren't watching along, that there were huge, like, lacunae between seasons, particularly between seasons three and four, which is probably why everybody hates on four, that we'd been waiting for it for, like, 19 months or something. And then we're like, it's this? So that experience of, like, those very top heavy expectations and you're seeing a little of that backlash right now with true detective in fact i in my opinion um that was different um and i i think it was also there was still a significant divide between what premium cable could do and would do and what i mean i think basic cable wasn't really even trying to do anything Uh, in the scripted space at that time. Not really. Um, Some FX stuff, but that's about it. So the contrast between um, Standard Network Fair and The Sopranos was, I think, much bigger than what you would have today between, uh, I'm trying to think of an example, Um, like The Good Wife and, I don't know, Nurse Jackie? Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that I mean that was different, but you know, it's crazy because now that's 15 years ago. So
0: it- Yeah, it's funny for me to watch even just like looking at the the box art, or the you know, DVD box art and uh, you know, the the if one family doesn't get them, the other one will. It's just like that feels like the kind of ad we'd get now for a reality show as opposed uh-huh. to our prestige. So it's like it really shows you how far the 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 way we sell and talk about television has changed, how how far it's come and how much it's changed since people, you know, since HBO was, was going, for reals, guys, please watch us. Yeah.
1: Please, please pay extra.
0: Please. <laughs> swear, it's
1: not, you know, it's not so different, but then at the same time, they're also trying to do that, like, um, like sort of luxury level, it's not TV, it's HBO, yeah. tagline. I think they left in the street, like, 10 years ago, but whatever, TV writers at least still drag it out for headline puns, <laughs> or maybe that's just me.
0: <laughs> I I think we're all uh, open to that if we can get a good pun in there. Simon, I know you love puns. Uh, you, what was your experience like watching The Like, Did you see, similarly to me come to it late or were you actually watching some of it when it was actually on?
2: I watched it piecemeal um, season to season as they appeared on DVD and I remember watching them with my, especially my dad And, um, I'm fairly certain there's a chunk of the show I never saw originally, like, I think it was in season six, like late 6A, early 6B, I think I totally missed. Uh, however, for the purposes principally of this segment, although I probably would have wanted to do it anyway, I rewatched it, um, and this time around I once again missed a chunk of episodes just because of, like, a time constriction. But as long as we're throwing out Look, uh, potentially difficult opinions... I'm just going to be fair,
0: uh, you, you A chunk means like six. You miss like six yeah, well, I'm not, yeah, enti- missed like six episodes. Yeah, I miss like six or seven episodes. That's like... Okay, that's, you, that's pretty good. That's all I'm saying. Yeah,
2: that's not bad. It's not as impressive as what we did with Lost, but it was pretty good. Yeah. And um, in season six, you know... <laughs> yeah. You're, you're probably not missing much, but I'm, I think that ties into what you're about to say, so... Uh, you might think so, but... Uh, <laughs> anyway my my perhaps controversial opinion is that the second half of the show is better than the first half of the show uh like by a fair amount and i don't necessarily mean that the performances get loads better or um the or the stories get get a whole lot more interesting i think what interests me more about the second half of the show uh i mean like season four five six is that the the caliber of the visual storytelling telling just goes way up and to me, like, a perfect contrast is, for instance, um, the use of dream sequences and hallucinations. I think the the caliber of, of that specifically, I think, uh, is a great example. In the, the stuff we get with, with Big Pussy, when, like, basically... And, okay, I guess we're just spoiling stuff now, so I'm just going to do that. <laughs> like, when... <laughs> When the way that Tony figures out that pussy has to go is because pussy sh- shows up to him in a dream as a fish and tells him, yeah, uh, which like it's a it's a at the time it must have been mind blowing, I think. Uh, and I remember the first time watching it being really blown away by that. Uh, but then t- to me, when you get to the end of season five, which to me is my favorite chunk of the show, and you get to the test dream and that whole 20 minute dream sequence, the level of uh, of, of storytelling going on in character exploration and, and, and admittedly you have a lot more show history to draw on at that point. But to me, the show is just operating at so much higher a level than it was in those early seasons. I I think the show evolves from being, I was watching those early seasons and thinking, you know, this is pretty good, but I'm beginning to wonder if we don't romanticize how good the show is a little bit. And then when I got to near, near to the end, I thought, wait, this is the show. I remember this is the show that really set the standard for, a. Uh, for how we, th- we think of the best of, of prestige drama right now. Uh, as much as, of course, it was, a, it was at that time that it was really beginning to develop that combative relationship with audiences, which is also what I love about it, and I'm sure we'll have more occasion to talk about that relationship. But yeah, to me, second half of show, way superior to first half, as much as I like the first half.
1: I would agree with that.
2: Yay! <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know
0: how controversial that is. I look forward to hearing from our listeners. Listeners, let us know. Um, But yeah, because it's sort of, for me, this show really follows the evolution of how we, you know, or this beginning of the evolution, I guess, of how we think about television. And one of the things I really like about it is that very you know most of the time even with these you know the arcs that take place over the course of a season um these different relationships getting expanded and um and and explored it really does still does feel like it's embracing the episodic television model the these episodes many of them can you can just like sit down and watch an episode and you're not going to be completely confused and i appreciate that but when you you're watching it does kind of transition from this Yes, TV has merit, too, guys, to know we're going to do whatever the hell we want because it's HBO and we can and we have enough confidence that we can do that. And this is what television can be. And it's really fun to to sort of see that transition. It's, a, it's such a um, at least for those of us who are fond of this notion of the golden age of TV, you know, still going, still managing to hold on for you know, all these years um, to, to watch that transition point.
1: I always feel a little weird uh, talking about um, where things fall sort of in the grand sweep of TV history. Cause I'm always kind of like in the middle of it, just writing about it and making fun of people's hair. Um, I <laughs> do, which is still totally worth doing. Um, I, I do think that you see, um, this, as Simon was saying, you see this um not improvement exactly, but a progression from the first half of the show to the second half of the show in terms of the like larger arc um and what it's trying to say about Tony about who we relate to as a show's protagonist, about um Viewers questioning their own sympathies and that kind of thing. Whereas the first, especially the first one in two seasons, felt quite a bit more um, conventional. The episodes tended to be self-contained. Not that there aren't fantastic episodes in there, like College is a great episode. um, But it does feel a little more constrained. And like it owes something to Chase's previous experience in other writers' rooms. Now, of course, his that actual CV is slipping my mind. But I think that as the show was getting more confident in its own abilities to be more cinematic, to be more untraditional, TV in general was doing the same thing. And I'm not sure like correlation is not causation, but Mm. I can't imagine that other writers and showrunners didn't look to the Sopranos and think, you know, we, we can take these chances. We can draw these lines in the sand about what, about the stories we're going to tell. So
2: If, if I could sort of try to reflect that more broadly, it feels like the first couple seasons are pretty happy being a clever mob story, like a, an exceptionally clever and fun uh, and entertaining mob story uh, and a, and a postmodern one. And then at a certain point it feels like chase and his writers get restless in a productive way um, where they're thinking, okay, like we've done this. We we've, we've examined these tropes and turned them inside out and that was fun, but what else can we do with this? How can we, how can we go deeper? And uh, to me, that's where the sort of the show gets, uh gets really fun and it starts to toy with ambiguity and um and it starts to toy with surreality in in more interesting ways um i mean aj never gets any fun to watch but overall <laughs> it it gets it, it just gets uh, to be a, a deeper more interesting beast to me
0: oh aj yeah oh it's uh, <laughs> so terrible he's the, he's just the worst and the performance i mean i don't necess- i don't I don't really ever connect with that character, but I think it's a solid performance because he's supposed to be annoying. Yes. And I mean, I I, like, right before we finished, uh, we started recording, I was rewatching part of the finale and just like, he's just like, you just want to strangle him. Like there aren't, I I was talking with Simon. There aren't enough. eye roll emoticons in the world to tweet how I feel watching
1: AJ in that finale. That finale is both like the uh, apex and the nadir of AJ as a character. It it contains, like, the complete AJ. He's a moron. <laughs> he's a pinko. He's lazy and self-serving. I mean, and he's absolutely the product of his parenting as well. I mean, yeah, he's not... Like, I think his parents are smart, savvy at least, uh, and he's just not. <laughs> um, and Jackie Jr. was another... Um, that is absolutely a Jersey type like the tight white sweater with no shirt on underneath and the CK one spritzes and the cheating and the basically being a gutless jerk. I I mean (laughs) (laughs) is that, is that strictly a Jersey thing? No, but this particular gel monkey kind of Like, he absolutely is a a type, and Jason Cerbone tends to show up now as, like, defense attorneys on um, Law & Order SVU and stuff like that. And every time he's on screen, I'm like, oh, Jackie Jr. And (laughs) it's like, I've got to get my mother's car inspected. And she's like, at night? (laughs) I mean, he's the worst, but he, he gets his. Sometimes they do on that show.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the characters who, for us, are the best, because um, I I think it goes without saying, yes, it's an an amazing performance from James Gandolfini as Tony, and Edie Falco is also amazing in her role. Um, Watching Gandolfini, because this time what really struck me is just how completely not vain it is. It's like, he is absolutely comfortable looking like shit when the story demands it, and it's, it's such a... Not glamorous um performance uh that, that you, it's, I think because the it's such a lauded show and it's such a um it's been raised to such high estimation over time and when when I think about it I don't necessarily i think of sp- particular like specific scenes but I also think of like this idea of the sopranos and so I think for me watching episodes this time that was one of those things that just kind of pierced that bubble especially after you know after james kenney's death just re- watching just how. Absolutely committed he was to the role um, was particularly fantastic for me uh, this time through. But there are also so many wonderful supporting performances. I mean, this show wouldn't be this show if it didn't have such a wealth of of interesting characters with at times very surprisingly affecting performances.
2: I mean, I have two points here. One of them, and we'll get back to this. There is no prestige show, I don't think, that relies as heavily on its lead as this show does. Uh, mostly because you, you get into Tony's head much more than you get into any other characters. And so, by, by its very nature, the show really needs Gandolfini to be on point in all kinds of scenarios, including the ones that go beyond reality. And, um, the fact that he's, that he doesn't have a false note in the whole show that I can think of, uh, I think is what makes the show work. That being said, when I think about the supporting cast, I mean, I mostly think of them as a large collection of mugs. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just like there are so many actors who I've never seen on anything except for The Sopranos and maybe occasionally a couple other sort of mob related uh, uh, stories. And The Sopranos gets to completely own those faces for me. David Proval as Richie Aprile, like that is a mug for the millennia. Uh, and, and the show is just full of, 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 especially guys like that who, uh, they, it goes beyond character actor to like, these are guys who mostly are there to play one note really, really well, uh, sometimes for seasons at a time. And the show just has like dozens of these people. Most of them don't la- don't like live very long, but it's, it's a kind of an unusual constellation of actors to have, especially for such a long time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would like to say that uh, Drea De Matteo's Adriana, uh, yes, is fantastic and probably a little bit underappreciated. And her, you know, since we're just spoiling everything, her death—like, I can never not—I can never watch that episode and not look at that little, like, sort of Ambrose Biercey, uh, occurrence at Elk Creek Bridge clip of her like like she's just taken off in her little car and she's going to mm. escape. It's all going to be cool. And it breaks my heart every time. Every time. Every time it gets me. And Stephen Van Zandt who is like um in you know the New Jersey pantheon for reasons having nothing to do with the show he would have been um, thanks to his Springsteen Association but while I think he was perfectly cast for this, um, he, I wouldn't say he had a lot of range, but that moment where she's crawling away from him and just his face, I mean, that was one moment where you could just tell that it was killing Van Zant to have to shoot this scene. And I think they're all on record as saying it was extremely difficult, but Adriana's whole tragedy and you know, and she has a lot of funny moments too. Like she's like, "You killed Cosette." I mean, <laughs> she, uh, and the fa- the fashion, like the things they would put her in, and the nails, and the giant hair. Like there are a couple of scenes in uh, the Crazy Horse or whatever the club's called, where her hair. I'm like, just the hairspray in that wig weighs fifteen pounds. Like, how is she able to even stand up straight, much less wearing Jimmy Choo's? Yeah, she was great.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, One of the standouts for me. I also really appreciate Michael Imperioli um, in the show and the way that, you know, Christopher goes through a lot. So that's one of the showier roles, but I I think he does a really fantastic job.
2: Yeah. And he's also like the only one of the only actors who also is uh, working behind the scenes as a producer and writer. Uh, And he, he got sole credit on some pretty good episodes uh, he also got sole credit on an episode called Christopher, which it is worth noting did not work uh, on my DVDs. And I, I, I'm under the impression it's sort of uh universally oh, not so loved. I was
1: like, yeah, that just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, the
2: We're same thing happened when
1: how it's dumb to protest Columbus Day, like, don't no. You're not Aaron Sorkin, don't do that.
2: <laughs> oh, that's why people just, The same thing happened with uh, with with the lost DVDs. There was a particular, I think it was the Jack's Tattoo episodes. Episode didn't work.
0: You're, you're better off. The DVDs helping you there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but it's I think it's worth it's it's I think that's one of the reasons that he got so much interesting stuff to do. I think the showbiz stuff is really hit or miss. Uh, again, better in the in the back half of the show than the first half. Um, but he's definitely, there's nothing to fault about his performance. And a- again, there's a lack of, once again, a- I think a lack of vanity, uh, to many of the performances. Also, as long as we're talking about a lack of vanity and Drea DiMatteo, the fact that for her whole, like, last season, they're, they've given her, like, bowel issues because she has to deal with being a, with being an informant, it's just, like, that is not a note you see very often for female characters. No.
0: Yeah, they're, they're just, for me... There are certain performances that um I, I make me curious why I, I haven't seen the actor more. And I like to think it's because they voluntarily retired. Uh they're voluntarily not in everything. Um and then there are others where it's just I find myself surprised by by this performance. Like I I, I shouldn't I shouldn't care about Polly Walnuts <laughs> at a certain point. I, that there's not that much range in that. And yet I do by the end.
1: Oh, poor Tony, well, poor Tony Sirico, whatever. He was in Goodfellas, and I think he, like, does speaking tours, and he'll be fine. But that is a that is a case of, like, there are certain guys in the show that it's like, what else are you ever going to play, really?
2: Vincent Pastore, for sure. Uh, and I remember him getting, a, get, he did, like, a, a mob-related DTV film, I think a little bit after The Sopranos showed up uh, uh, ended, and it showed up at the video store I was working at, and it was a little bit sad. Uh, and there, there are definitely other people in the cast like that too. But I think it's difficult to understate, again, just how huge a role uh, Gandolfini played in the show's success. And I think, but more broadly, I think a, a real strength of the show is that at a certain point they glom onto what Gandolfini is doing with the role, and then they they sort of characterize and write to fit the performance in the sense that you know when he sort of you know he's 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 putting it on from season to season uh, weight wise it seems like to me and it's written into the show in all kinds of ways that make perfect sense and also there's just there's something about his charisma that like this has to be one of the only shows where you see a, a way older guy hooking up with like young hotties left and right and you never really eye roll at it you never really like at least i didn't ever like have a there was no like real credibility issue because he's just got such a, a magnetism and uh and sort of a a, a brute uh, this the sort of like something beyond like just just being a brute macho fellow and and, be, and betraying that that balance of sensitivity and presence that you never really have difficulty believing that whereas i feel like even a slightly less well-calibrated performance, Boardwalk Empire, um, you have trouble believing that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of amazing. He's definitely not your traditional sex symbol, but between um, the actor's obvious facility um, and the character and the way that he's able to tap into that magnetism of the character, not just his power, although that's a big part of it, that I think some of these women are attracted to either the danger or the money or whatever, but that you absolutely, like, you absolutely believe it that, you know, like there's that one scene where um, he's told to go and spend more time in his businesses and he manages to like, there's this blonde secretary who's like backing out of the room and bumps into the doorway Cause she's staring at him and then she's like a devout Christian. And then like four scenes later, they're doing it on his desk. And you're like, "Mm -hmm." like you never question that.
0: (laughs) Um, We are nearly a half hour in and we haven't said Lorraine Bracco or Dr. Melfi. And I, that's (laughs) a mistake clearly. uh, So I'm going to say those and also say, I think this, one of the more interesting things about the show for me is the way I think it really changed people's perception of therapy and what it was, because it was featured so prominently on this show. I don't know, I mean, I wasn't paying attention to the cultural zeitgeist at the time, so who knows? But I really think those scenes that we get with with Melfi and, and with Tony do a lot, you know, did a lot to really affect the way people think about therapy and what it can be and what it can do and take taking like the tell me about your mother from you know tell me about your mother to you know this like freud uh, joke mm-hmm. punchline that people you know could easily have pulled out to actually a really interesting valid uh thread to examine
2: I mean, t- to me, first of all, the therapy thing is one of the few things that I think I-, I prefer overall in the first half of the show to the second, if only because there are long stretches of the back half of the show where the therapy becomes kind of incidental uh, or even just disappears for a long time. But personally, I most enjoyed those scenes just as kind of a, uh, a-, a duel of minds between two people whose uh whose outlook... And whose life experience could really not be more different, and I, I stopped thinking of it as therapy and started thinking of it more as just a as just a battle of wits. Which and and on that level, uh, I, I I never got bored with those scenes, which is pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, I think it I think it did lose effectiveness after a certain point. That um, it did begin to um, stretch the bounds of. Uh, credulity that she would continue to treat him or that he would continue, like, if he wasn't having symptoms, that he would go. um I did like the way they wrapped it up. It um mm-hmm. it did a little clunky, but her sort of realization that, like, there's no treating a sociopath, so what am I doing here was interesting. But what was always interesting about that dynamic wasn't just their like sort of shared, but unspoken realization that neither of them is exactly there for the therapeutic relationship, but also the casting around that and how, you know, this like all time AFI classic mob wife actress is now playing the therapist. Um, and I think she read for Carmella. I don't, I don't remember the, I don't remember the casting note on that. But then her psychiatrist is played by Peter Bogdanovich, who mm-hmm. talk about, uh, talk about a, um, fearless performance. Like, actually, almost everyone in the show winds up looking like a complete snod at some point and nobody ever sells it out. Like, Timothy Daly trying to sell his Emmy, <laughs> is all beat up, um, the guy, I can't remember his name, Will something. Uh I will remember it after we stop recording, but the guy who plays Finn Tetrolio, uh Meadow's yes. boyfriend slash fiance for a while, um, is just like I mean, both of them with the like college Pinko speak. Um, yeah, there are a lot of roles like that, but definitely the therapeutic relationship. And I have to say, Bronco's performance sometimes was a little like I don't know, like that scene where she gets in a fight with um, about um, smoking at the restaurant, and she's like been drinking a lot in season two. Sometimes the performance is like, what? What is is this performance? I don't, (laughs) I don't like. It's very flat and affected, and I, I'm, I'm not getting it sometimes. But I think the sort of uh, meta wink in the casting of that whole sphere. Um, and her whatever Oberlin college pinko son, uh, is great and often bails it out when her performance is not quite because you know she's going mano a mano with the feeny, and sometimes she's losing on the on the acting side.
2: I would say but... you really have it up for the pinkos, huh?
1: I do <laughs> down <laughs> to pinkos, uh,
0: yeah. I think, um, I'd agree that. This the way that they end her relationship uh, with with Tony is, re- I think, very effective, and that would be something that it seems like the the show bought into this notion that, that was a necessary part of what the show was. Like you needed to have those scenes, and that's why that they wait until the second last episode to have that happen. Where maybe it would have been a bit more believable if it had happened, you know, season four, or season five. Um or, I don't know, maybe even earlier. But I do think that the framework it provides and, and the value we ultimately get from those scenes, like you were saying, Simon, uh, the skirmish of wits, maybe, um, they're both very clever characters. Um, it, I, I think, and in and the whole, it really adds a lot to the show. And, um, and then, because we barely mentioned her, do we have any thoughts on Edie Falco here before we run out of time? Besides, you know, she's really good.
2: I want to specifically mention that, um, I think that the, the episode, I forget the exact name or when it happens, but specifically the, oh, it's, uh, Whitecaps, uh, the episode where they break up, uh, Tony and Carmella is one of my, is like top five for me. And their, their knockdown drag out, uh, no holds barred fight is, I think just, I mean, it's, it's a very obvious showboating uh acting scene acting sequence for both of them but it totally works and she matches him beat for beat uh and and after that like we never really get to i would say after the whole david Strathern thing we never really get to engage with her on the same level again which i think is really too bad maybe a little bit in paris uh but i think we i think we lose i think we lose the track of her in in the very end of the show which i think is a shame but i think that that's no fault of hers
1: Well, and I think that's that's intentional with the writing. Like, that, you know, to play this character who, like, the viewer's sympathies with her are extremely muddled. Like, once that Mm -hmm. other, like, teeny little gnome psychiatrist is like, one thing you can never say is that you haven't been told. And, like, she knows. She knows what he is. She knows what she is. And she always sort of withdraws from confronting it. Whitecaps is... Just for me, like it leaves me a little cold because I do feel like it's, you know, a, a little shouty and emmy baby, but I uh, I'm glad she got that chance to finally as the character let it rip after years of sort of being this comprom- in this compromised position, because, you know, certainly Tony is a far guiltier person of far worse sins, but we're asked to sympathize with him. Um, in a lot of ways that we aren't necessarily with her. And it, you know, it raises a lot of questions about the role of the mob wife, but also how the audience receives these female characters in these situations. And she's great. Love her.
0: Yeah. We don't get the, um, she because she, it's interesting to think of her in relationship to the other wives on, on the shows that have sort of followed you know, in that prestige level, so like the the issues people have with Anna Gunn, uh-huh. and with with um um, January Jones. Sorry, the name was escaping me. That they, they don't seem to have that with Carmela, and it's probably because she throws him out, but then takes him back and um as a viewer personally i'm like yeah she throws them out or whatever they you know they they have that enormous fight and i want okay like now she's going to move forward and make changes in her life and i want that to be what happens but it's not you know what you know she that's not the choice she makes and she the habits that she falls into the lifestyles she chooses over you know ethics and morality
1: and maybe her soul um that's it's a very realistic choice yeah, she wants her spec house and, you know, Tony is extremely charming and it's going to be extremely difficult for her. Like, she, you know, he was her job mm-hmm. was for her job. So what is she supposed to do now that he's tainted every divorce lawyer in New Jersey and.
2: Right. It, it and
1: stir, and- like, I don't know. It's hard for me really to judge her for that. Also, it's Gandolfini
2: yeah i mean it's impossible to judge her i think mainly because their freedom levels are not the same uh you know his if if they if they divorce uh he can do anything and there's a very limited span of things that she can do uh at least if only because of of her age and you know her relative inexperience in many areas of life uh and also of course her gender um these these things are all problems uh so you know it's it you, you again you, you, i agree you you totally can't fault her um there's a bunch of other things we haven't mentioned yet that and i i just feel like i need to throw a few of them in there quickly uh while we still have time uh, there are so many characters who i think could not have worked without great performances or or who have appeared as types or as uh sort of grown worthy characters in other formats like for instance um gloria trillo I think, as as played by Annabella Sciorra, I think she's great in the role, and she could have so easily been. Um, I think. Uh, I think it could have just really easily not worked for reasons that should be pretty obvious. And whenever she pops up again after her death, it's never not haunting, and um, and that's sometimes just in in vocal form. Uh, so I just need to mention that. Also, I completely forgot about or missed the fact that. Juliana Margulies has a mini arc as a sex pot junkie named Juliana, which really, really messed me up.
1: Working on behalf of John Juice's real estate department. Yes, oh, thanks. Hmm.
2: Yeah, that was super weird.
0: Sarah, so are there any other uh, the elements of the show you wanted to make sure to mention?
1: Um, just admiration for Leslie Vega as Valentina La Paz. Um, She's working the longest set of fake nails in the entire show. (laughs) And uh, she has these lines. First of all, this person, I think she was on Safe by the Bell, maybe? And then she was in the 90210 pilot. Uh, And I recognized her because I always thought she had had, um, like, elastane put in her lips for The Sopranos, but that's just her lips. So sorry, Leslie Vega, for any accusations I may have made about elastane. But uh, she has these deliveries of little throwaway lines like, How's the olive loaf? you leaving who's gonna <laughs> fix you a snack that's like I don't know, I just love her. she's perfect, and like with her super long hair, she's great um I kind of like all the I kind of like all the um gumars they all mm-hmm. like they all have their different things I mean certainly Annabella Shiora is like um first among equals there, but I think those women are kind of. I think the show has a has a respect for their plight as well, and tries to give them dimension. And,
2: and it also never feels like it, it could so easily have fallen into. Look at these crazy ladies that Tony's always falling for, which, I mean, is sort of true. But also, like it, it's it. The show is very careful to place that on Tony and the fact that he, his position and the way he behaves. And the situations that he puts himself in, he positions himself to attract certain types of people and to make them behave certain kinds of ways. like it never really seems to blame any of them.
1: Yeah, except Livia and the um, both Layla Robbins as young Livia and uh the late Nancy marchand as the main uh the main are are wonderful, and the whole older generation is really great. Dominic Quiny is mm-hmm. his uncle
2: Jr, so like his last
1: scene in the show was a killer. Absolutely. Yeah, I,
2: I can't believe it took us that long to mention Nancy Merchant. but well, yeah, yeah,
0: that was gonna amazing. be my uh, my thing here. The last, I've got two last things I want to say, and just a tip of the hat to one of the worst mothers in fiction. <laughs> just it, it, yes, it's, it's just such an it's an amazing performance. It's amazingly well written. It makes like as soon as you meet her, Tony just makes sense, and um and you all like you as soon as you meet her, you want to be like, okay, you get a pass because of what your childhood must have been like. And then you realize, you know, he's a horrible, horrible, horrible person. You can't possibly do that. But the the way that they, they just, there's absolutely no interest. And again, I guess it would go back to this notion of vanity. There's no interest in making her a likable person at all. And yet she feels entirely true.
1: That, that yeah, she feels like that,
0: a real person. The
1: top. That's exactly it. That it's like just these little... Things, and Janice, as well, that you're like, oh,
2: you. Oh, Janice.
0: You are a person um, I have sat next to on the bus.
2: Livia is one of those mom. like, she's the mom that when you, when you watch a few episodes with her, if she's still around, you call your real mom to be like, thank you for not, <laughs> for not that.
0: And then the last thing I had, the very last thing for me, because we're almost out of time here, is, uh, you mentioned it earlier, Simon, but uh, I just... I love the somewhat antagonistic relationship with certain parts of its fandom. The show develops after a while. And um, the like the notion of the reaction of the writers and, and David Chase and stuff to, to the cult of personality that sort of rose up amongst the fandom about Tony, about how he was so cool and so amazing. Um, and th- they're... You know, the sort of disbelief at that and what they, what that, how they responded to it. I, I thought that was really um very interesting. And then, uh, as much as I'm curious, interested in saying about the ending, but I love the ending for that reason as well. I, lo- I just, I absolutely love the antagonism um, that is, was potentially there. Certainly just the, the willingness to just make people think their, their HBO had cut off.
2: <laughs> Hashtag hot take, good finale.
1: <laughs> Do you guys have any, any final thoughts about the Sopranos here, uh, Sarah? Um, I think the finale um, on Extra Hot Great, which is our podcast at previously.tv uh, we recently inducted the Sopranos finale into our canon, um, mostly on the you know on the merits, but also people are still talking about it. This is still yep. a discussion and a debate. And as someone who lurched out of the couch at my then boyfriend's house and around behind his TV, like, is there a cat back there and knocked out the cave? I mean, this was like millions of people that this happened to. But then once we had time to think about it, I mean, I personally do not think Tony was killed, but it's like the movie JFK. Like, whatever I think about it is, whatever the latest discussion I had about it is, my mind can be changed but that ambiguity and that narrative, like, just refusal to wrap it up neatly is still being felt. Like, if you look at the Breaking Bad finale and how Finn Gilligan is like, that's not going to be me. I'm not answering questions about this for the rest of my life. It's like, you know, I didn't love that ending, but I absolutely respect why he was like, let's just put a period on it. I don't need this shit. So, yes, yeah, <laughs> fantastic ending and you know, it really like Gandolfini's death broke my heart for a bunch of different reasons. But the fact that there wouldn't be, you know, like a, a movie or like a reconvening or anything like that um also sort of breaks my heart, but it's for the best because sometimes I just need to, you know, <laughs> let these things go.
0: <laughs> How about you, Simon, any final thoughts?
2: Uh No, I mean, I think we've said it all. Uh, no, we have not said, <laughs> what am I talking about? We said about an, a, a hundredth of the things that we could say. Uh, I will say it was great to, to to finally do a proper beginning to end watch with a slight asterisk there. And to, de- and to, de- to determine uh, conclusively that it lived up to my memory. I do think that if you haven't seen it in a while, it's worth doing a proper rewatch now. Because the show watches differently now. And I mean that in a good way
0: intriguing well thank you so much sir for coming on to talk sopranos with us i feel i feel good about this i think we've uh, we done good i look forward to hearing from our listeners on all the many many things we should have said or should have made time for but didn't
1: Yep, too and uh if you would like me to return to uh, address listener concerns as to um, <laughs> polls that we left in our accounting uh, i would be honored as always thank you so much for having me on again
0: where can our listeners find you and your work online
1: uh, I am, as mentioned, the East Coast editor at previously.tv. Uh, you can also subscribe to our podcast, Extra Hot Great, which is on iTunes and other fine downloadable media. And I also run a true crime blog. It's called The Blotter. That's T H E dash blotter.com.
0: Excellent. And uh, thank you again, Sarah, so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.